I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Kyle Newman, Managing Director of Safe Identity, a new industry consortium and certification body that says it supports the advancement of digital identity in cryptography and healthcare by enabling trust of digital credentials. So, Kyle, I understand that the safe identity is the accumulation of an 11-month overhaul of the Safe Biopharma Trust Framework, an entity that has been in operation for 15 years. Please describe what the Safe Biopharma Trust Framework is and why the overhaul. So ultimately, Safe Biopharma, as you said, has been around for about 15 years, and it was built to serve a very specific problem roughly 15 years ago, around 2004. And to summarize the problem and summarize what Safe Biopharma was, I'll describe to you the use case that it was made to solve. So prior to 2004, pharma companies would have to make clinical trial drug submissions just as they do today, but there was no electronic means of doing that. And the volume of information they'd have to submit to the FDA was incredible. In some cases, it would be literally a truckload of paper shipped to the FDA. And that, of course, is useless to the FDA and wildly expensive for the pharma company to manage that relationship and still be compliant. And so as a result, they thought, we have to come up with some other way of doing this, both FDA and the pharma company together. And there were actually a couple different iterations to try and solve this problem, all of them unsuccessful until Safe Biopharma was created. And with it, what essentially it is, is a mechanism for creating a digital identity on one side of the planet and then allowing that digital identity to be verified on the other side of the planet. Where it's being verified in this case would be FDA. The reason why this was important is in the past with the paper submissions, they would sign with ink their clinical trial drug submission to the FDA and when the FDA got it, it was legally binding. But once you digitize it, you have this challenge. How do you still make sure this document is legally binding, and how do you know it really came from the source in which it claims to be coming from? This is what Safe Biopharma solved. It has uh, basically a, a framework for identifying people, and there is some cryptographic infrastructure in between that allows the FDA to know with a high degree of certainty who is submitting this document on the other side of the planet. Now, fast forward 15 years, this technology, when it was first introduced, was cutting edge called PKI, and the whole world gasped at what all it could do. Fifteen years later, this technology has been pretty widely embraced by the world, and a lot of things have developed since then, but the Safe Biopharma Trust Framework remained mostly unchanged. And so in order to leverage this for modern healthcare use cases, sort of revamping and overhaul was necessary, and that's what we've done. So, Kyle, who is part of the Safe Identity Consortium, and what is its mission, and what are the goals of the trust framework? So, essentially, the participants, as we call it, are made up of three categories or types, if you will. Now, you really want to think about a trust framework in a big, broad setting. Across all of healthcare is how this operates. We're talking about identity, binding identity across all these different participants. So, it's a very high-level type of structure and and participant body. The first and most, perhaps most important of them are called relying parties. These are healthcare organizations. These are the organizations that accept a digital identity and depend on it, where John Doe on the other side of the planet says, hi, I'm John Doe, 
and the healthcare organization or relying party has to trust that it really is John Doe on the other side of the planet. Hence the reason for all of this infrastructure and trust framework. There's a lot of risk involved with doing that and doing business online. So that's the first piece. Relying parties are the ones that have all the risk. They have something to lose if identity is fraudulent or it goes wrong. The other participants are called identity providers. These are the ones that issue the identity to John Doe. They establish a relationship with John Doe, uh, either prior or a new relationship. They identity proof John Doe and they make sure that John Doe really is John Doe. And they issue John Doe a permanent credential that he can now use online forever thereafter. And then lastly, there are application vendors. This is the third and final category of participants inside of the Safe Trust framework. And these vendors basically create software that accept John Doe's credential and tell the relying party that they can trust or not trust his or her credential. Now, as far as goals are concerned, what exactly is the trust framework aiming to accomplish? Well, as a relying party, there are many different identity providers out there. And knowing which ones you can trust is really a challenge, especially in healthcare. Identity buyer could be an insurer, it could be a hospital chain, it could be a commercial entity. And knowing which one of these entities are issuing credentials in a consistent way, in a way that they can trust, is really difficult. So we generally serve relying parties so that they can make a better decision about which identity credentials they can or cannot or do not want to trust based on the risk inherent in trusting such credentials. That's really our goal, to establish consistency of identity among all these different identity providers. So, Kyle, what does the trust framework consist of? What sorts of organizations would apply this framework? How and why? Ultimately, it's consisting of three overall what we call pillars. The first pillar is called the Policy Management Authority. This is the governance body that basically governs how different identity providers are certified within the trust framework. And it's generally a member-driven community where different healthcare participants like medical device manufacturers or pharma companies or hospital chains can all join this policy management authority and have a voting right in how the ecosystem is governed and how different identity providers are certified under the trust framework so that they can then rely on those credentials. The second pillar of the Safe Trust Framework is called the Safe Qualified Products List. This is a product certification program where we test vendor products against their ability to verify a digital identity credential. There's, in fact, pretty sophisticated cryptography involved with this. You may not realize, but Adobe and DocuSign, many folks don't think of that as cryptographic software, but it, in fact, is very sophisticated cryptographic software. And the QPL is designed to test products like that to make sure it's behaving properly. So the final pillar of the Safe Trust Framework is our web services. This is basically a set of different software as a service that we provide to the ecosystem to allow the ecosystem to function smoothly. One of them is a bridge certification authority. Another is our uh, global encryption directory that enables encryption between different participants inside the ecosystem. So Kyle, how does the Trust Framework fit in with or compare with other security frameworks such as the NIST Cybersecurity Framework, the High Trust Common Security Framework, and others? Yeah, I really like this question because there's a lot of confusion out there. Is how is the Trust Framework different than the other types out there? What, what, how does it? How can you baseline your understanding of what a Trust Framework is? This is an excellent question. In general, if I was to summarize the NIST or high trust frameworks, they're really centered around broader cybersecurity as a whole. 
talk about different network security controls and how you procure things and interface with outside entities, et cetera. It's a big, giant cybersecurity framework in general. Identity is one small but very important component of that. So really, in general, there's not a whole lot in common. Believe it or not, the controls involved in some cases are very similar, but only applied to the identity systems run by these different organizations. So we do check for network security controls. We do check for how different things are secured and the physical access, but only for security systems, not for the entire system in general across the whole healthcare organization, broadly distributed. In general, the trust framework is just built to instill confidence and consistency among a disparate set of identity providers so they can be more readily accepted by relying parties and healthcare organizations. So Kyle, please provide some examples of how this digital identity and cryptography trust framework comes into play in healthcare settings and why is this important? So let's take, for example, third-party suppliers. This is one of the use cases that we're working on first as part of this revamp. So you have a series of different healthcare-relying parties like a set of pharma companies, for example, and they have a vast set of vendors inside of their supply chain, and they have to interface with these different vendors. These vendors, generally speaking, are credentialed by the pharma company, and that incurs costs. They have to manage the vendor identities. They have to hope that the vendor doesn't lose their password or share it with somebody else or stick it on their computer screen. So there's inherent risk and cost associated with that. With the trust framework, they can instead, in their procurement language, require their vendors to go out and identify themselves using a credential that was issued from within the trust framework. Now the healthcare organization, the pharma company, can rely on that digital identity without having issued it on their own. It's the vendor's responsibility to issue and manage their credential. The reason this is important is the vendor is an employee of their own company. And if they leave, that company is going to revoke the credential because they don't want to have to continue to pay for it. So the pharma company, the relying party, not only doesn't need to pay for the credential, but they also get the benefit of knowing when the credential is valid and when it's not. So Kyle, what's next for the Safe Identity Consortium and the trust framework? Our future is pretty bright. There's a lot of different initiatives that we're going to be tackling. One of the coolest ones is medical devices. We have a series of progressive steps that we'll be taking throughout healthcare. We're starting with third-party suppliers. The next step will be tackling medical devices and identifying an actual medical device for use inside of a hospital or a lab or other environment. And we're moving into clinical trials from this point where we're dealing with patients and how patients are interfacing with their clinical trial constituents. And then lastly, far down the road, this is years away, we will have built up a set of knowledge and a framework for potentially tackling patient identity. This isn't something we're working on now, but it's something that we're going to be building towards in the future. And when it comes to patient identity, would that involve patient ID matching, matching the right person to the right record? Yeah, that's a really important component of it, right? Because in patient matching, if you need to match a patient to their record, you have to know the patient's identity. So patient matching and patient identity are really important. The matching part is not something that we would do. A system would use their digital identity to then go and match their records to it. So we provide the identity component and consistency among different patient identities so that a system can go find the records that match to that patient. We are a piece of that process. Thanks, Kyle. I've been speaking to Kyle Newman. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.